Hello and welcome to Rico Dusty's Treks in Sci-Fi podcast. My name is Simon Meddings and I'm known as Hawkeye Meds on the Treks in Sci-Fi forums. I'm also the host of Waffle On podcast, MASH 4077 podcast, and I'm one of the writers on the Martians Are Here podcast and stories. This week I am honoured to be your host and I wish to take you on a strange journey. It's a strange journey delving into the world of a sci-fi comedy horror musical film. Developed from a successful stage play back in 1975, this film raised the eyebrow of conventionalism. So, let's crack on with the opening number called Science Fiction Double Feature. Welcome to the wonderful world of the Rocky Horror Picture Show. Yeah. 
double feature picture show in the back row. Ah, ah, ah. To the late night double feature picture show. The opening number there, uh, sung by the creator of Rocky Horror, Mr. Richard O'Brien. Now, before we discuss the film, let's have some history. Um, the Rocky Horror Show was first performed at the Royal Court Theatre upstairs in London on June the 16th, 1973. It was wrote by young out-of-work actor O'Brien. Uh, he was actually born Richard Timothy Smith on the 25th of March 1942 in Cheltenham, England. His family moved to New Zealand where his family had purchased a sheep farm. Uh, he left New Zealand uh, pretty quickly. Uh, he was um, nearly brought into the family firm of cheese making. Uh, so um, maybe he made the right decision. Uh, he entered uh, the film industry by being a stuntman on such films as uh, Carry On Cowboy. Uh, he also developed a keen interest in comic books and horror films um, once he launched his acting career he had to change his name to O'Brien because um, there was another actor already called Richard Smith so he took his paternal grandmother's name the stage play was a huge success in fact it has not stopped touring the world uh, the film was made two years later and used five actors from the original tour those were Tim Curry playing the lead role as Dr Frankenfurter Richard O'Brien himself playing his manservant Riff Raff Patricia Quinn playing Riff Raff's sister Magenta and Nell Campbell playing Columbia. Now, Jonathan Adams also was in the original stage play and he plays in the film Dr. Everett Scott. Now in the play, uh, the actor who plays Eddie also plays Dr. Everett Scott. Now in the film, Eddie is played by Meatloaf. Uh, two other leads in this uh, were at, the t at that time uh, relatively unknown American actors. This was Barry Bostwick who played Brad Majors and Susan Sarandon as his fiancée. Janet Weiss. There was also a narrator throughout the film, and he was played by Charles Gray. I would like, uh, if I may, to take you on a strange journey. It seemed a fairly ordinary night when Brad Majors and his fiancée, Janet Weiss, two young, ordinary, healthy kids, left Denton that late November evening to visit a Dr. Everett Scott, ex-tutor and now friend to both of them. It's true, there were dark storm clouds, heavy, black and pendulous, toward which they were driving. It's true also that the spare tyre they were carrying was badly in need of some air. But uh, they, being normal kids and uh, on a night out, well, they were not going to let a storm spoil the events of their evening. <laughs> on a night out. It was a night out they were going to remember for a very long time. <laughs> Ah, no, happily engaged Brad and Janet are. And uh, in that scene, 
when they start off uh, at a wedding, in the background you actually see uh, Tim Curry, Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn in different outfits. Uh, Tim Curry is playing the priest and uh, Richard O'Brien and Patricia Quinn are playing uh, two elderly people who are seen on many a horror um, uh, painting. Uh, it's the, the old couple ones holding a pitchfork and they live in dungarees. I think everyone's seen it. Um, now, this film cannot be classed as cute, uh, even though they look cute all engaged. On their way to meet Dr. Everett Scott, they do indeed have a blowout in their front left-hand tyre, and Brad realises that the spare tyre is absolutely no good, so they decide to walk back to the castle they drove past earlier on, and this is when we hear the song over at the Frankenstein's place. Uh, called Oakley Court and this is in Berkshire it's known for a number of Hammer horror films and a great deal of location shooting took place there not only because it's of its, uh, its imposing look but because it adjoins Bray Studios where the interiors were shot uh, at the time the manor was in a very dilapidated condition and filming took place during the autumn which made uh, working conditions extremely hard uh, during filming Susan Sarandon fell ill with pneumonia uh, obviously she recovered after a few days 
1979, the hotel was, uh, well, sorry, Oakley Court was totally refurbished and is now a hotel. A very expensive hotel, I must admit. I, uh, I did look into going there um, a few years ago and actually uh, doing the prep for this, uh, this podcast. I uh, looked up Oakley Court um, to see how much uh, it is to stop there and it's a ridiculous amount of money. Uh, anyway, back to uh, Brad and Janet. Uh, we see them approaching uh, Oakley Court, or in this case the mansion, uh, in the pouring rain, and they uh, they get to the door and they press the doorbell. My name's Brad Majors. Uh, this is my fiance, Janet Weiss. I wonder if you might help us. You see, our car broke down a few miles up the road. Your phone we might use? You're away. Yes, it's raining. Yes. Uh... I think perhaps you better both come inside. And this is when we first get uh, our first introduction to Riff Raff, played by Richard O'Brien, a rather sinister-looking humped male. Uh, his sister Magenta, played by Patricia Quinn, also makes an appearance here. And they both explain that Brad and Janet have turned up on a rather special night, as the master is having one of his affairs. Now this is when we get to hear the most well-known of all songs from the Rocky Horror Show. This is the Time War. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Just a jump to the left. Yes, well, we'll be playing the full version of that annoying party song right at the end of the podcast. It's it's one of those songs where uh, wherever you go, it can be nightclubs, it could be you know hen stag parties, um, anywhere, somewhere along the line, people are going to play the time warp, and it's a uh, it's a bit annoying, but hey, we'll play at the end of the podcast. Now, uh, Brad and Janet witness Ruth Raff and Magenta dancing and singing with all the other guests at the castle and quick trivia fact here that two of the guests in this room are a young Christopher Biggins who actually went on to play the narrator on the stage play and uh, he's a bit of a celebrity over here in Britain and Kimmy Wong who at that point was Richard O'Brien's wife. Now as the song finishes Brad and Janet back away hoping to leave the castle but unfortunately a sudden beat emanates around the castle as the elevator behind them descends. Janet turns to look and there, standing tall and proud, is Tim Curry, dressed as Dr. Frankenfurter. And this, in this song, as he quite truly announced, is a sweet transvestite. How'd you do, I? 
see you've met my faithful handyman. He's just a little brought down because when you knocked, he thought you were the candyman. Don't get strung up by the way I look. Don't judge a book by its cover. I'm not much of a man by the light of day, but by night I'm one hell of a lover. I'm just a sweet transvestite from transsexual Transylvania. <laughs> Let me show you around, maybe. Play you a sign. You look like you're both pretty groovy. Or if you want something visual that's not too abysmal, we could take in an old Steve Reeves movie. Okay, so of course there, conventionalism is totally broke. We have a six-foot bloke dressed in fishnet stockings and a basque, and uh, quite a lot of makeup, maybe a little bit too much, but uh, who am I to question the makeup of a, of a man, having never done it? But there you go. <laughs> uh, so it seems Brad and Janet now are here to stay, and Frank invites them to attend the grand opening. Magenta and Riff Raff remove Brad and Janet's clothes, uh, which is a bit awkward. Uh, they quite obviously don't want to get half naked. Well, Janet doesn't, but Brad seems to be more than happy. They then get into the elevator and go to the top floor. Um, the two servants, uh, Riff Raff and, uh, and Magenta, they, they are brother and sister, although they seem to be a little bit too fond of each other at times, with the odd hugs and kisses. But, you know, um, this is a, they are from another planet, as you find out later on. And... Uh, Whatever happens over there, that's up to them. Uh, they travel up the lift and they then see Frank now wearing a green surgical gown and holding pink gloves. The room itself is uh, tiled pink and there is a large metal object covered in a red drape. Do you have any tattoos, Brad? Certainly not. Oh, well, how about you? <laughs> Everything is in readiness, Master. We merely await your work. Tonight, my unconventional conventionalists, you are to witness a new breakthrough in biochemical research. And paradise is to be made. It was strange the way it happened. Suddenly, you had a break. All the pieces seem to fit into place. Not a sucker you've been, or a fool. The answer was there all the time. It was no accident to make it happen. An accident! And that's how I discovered the secret. That elusive ingredient. That spark that is the breath of life. Yes. I have that knowledge. I hold the secret to life itself. You see, you are 
fortunate for tonight is the night that my beautiful creature is destined to be born. So Frank's uh, Frank's little speech there. The crowd. Uh, they all get crazy and excited and Frank removes the cover to reveal a bandaged body in what looks like a flotation tank. He then quickly turns all these dials and loads of strange different coloured water comes down into this tank and up rises Frank's creation. A weakling weighing 98 pounds will get sand in his face when to the ground and soon in the gym with a determined chin the sweat from his pores as he works for his cause will make him glisten and gleam and with massage and just a little bit of <laughs> He'll be pink and quite clean. He'll be a strong man. Oh, honey, but the wrong man. He'll eat nutritious, high protein. And swallow raw eggs. Rocky is born. Blonde haired and tanned, Frank parades his creation around, uh, something you never saw Baron Frankenstein do with his creation. Uh, and, you know, I think obviously Baron Frankenstein wasn't really going for that, uh, that um, smooth uh, Adonis style look, I suppose. Uh, Columbia says that uh, he's all right. Now, this doesn't go down too well with Frank. So Frank takes uh, Rocky over to Brad and Janet to show him off. And Janet announces, obviously because uh, Brad's a bit of a wimp, that she doesn't like a man with too many muscles. Frank gets a little bit annoyed by these negative responses and announces that uh, he didn't make him for you. So quite clearly this creation is not just a creation for science, but a creation for Frank himself. Um, suddenly, though, there is a, a deep freeze unit in this uh, lab, uh, as you do. I suppose you have to have somewhere to keep your spare arms. <laughs> and um, this suddenly, uh, the alarm goes off and this breaks and Eddie here comes out on a Harley Davidson. Eddie here, played by Meatloaf. Um, now the interesting thing about Eddie is, is this is Frank's first creation and it's one that went wrong but Columbia is uh, besotted with him absolutely in love with Eddie and she, she manically laughs when he comes out and um, Eddie then proceeds to drive around the operation unit the, uh, the whole set up his lab if, you, if so to speak uh, on his motorbike causing absolute havoc uh, singing this classic song which Meatloaf still performs now on stage and uh, this is Hot Petite Bless My Soul
uh, Frankie's not happy with uh, Eddie suddenly turning up and uh, gate crashing Rocky's birthday party, and uh, so does what any mad scientist uh, does. He uh, finishes Eddie off with a axe. Um, it's actually quite a violent scene, really, and uh, there's a lot of blood trailing through the ice from the from the deep freeze. Um, it must be said, I think this causes a bit of a sour note to the party. Uh, Frank, though, has other things on his mind uh, and takes Rocky to his bridal room. Um, something slightly weird and sinister about the fact that Rocky is his creation. Uh, he's just been born. Uh, he's also saying that it's his birthday, uh, birthday, and it's, he says almost like he's his mother. And uh, anyway, he takes Rocky off behind the curtains. I'll let uh, you good listeners use your imagination, uh, but I gather they wasn't doing uh, crossword puzzles. There are those who say that life is an illusion and that reality is simply a figment of the imagination. If this is so, then Brad and Janet are quite safe. However, the sudden departure of their host and his creation into the seclusion of his sombre bridal suite had left them feeling both apprehensive and uneasy. A feeling which grew as the other guests departed, and they were shown to their separate rooms. Frank, uh, after having a little bit of fun, uh, seems to be sneaking around uh, his castle. We cut to Janet's room, uh, and we see her behind a almost like a, a, a seafood curtain, like a gauze, really. And Brad comes into her room um, and and she starts kissing him and suddenly she realises actually that it's it's not Brad it's Frank impersonating Brad and uh, he kisses her, compliments her and uh, does all, all through his hard work, ends up seducing her. Meanwhile though, whilst Frank is out, out and about uh, uh, <laughs> being the decent host to his party guests, Riff Raff and Magenta decide to pick on Rocky. Um, they have a candle holder, obviously with candles that are lit, and decide to poke him. Uh, Rocky, as in uh, Frankenstein, in uh, Baron Frankenstein's monster, is scared of fire, and so uh, runs off, uh, goes and, uh, and run about around the castle. We then cut to Brad's room, and Brad is in a very similar room, got another gauze covering his bed and his lying there, and who should sneak into his bedroom but Janet? And the exact scene happens again, as did with Janet, and even off uh, the same dialogue. And, but of course, it's not, uh, <laughs> it's not Janet, it's Frank. This man has no bounds at all. And uh, he sneaks into Brad's room, and, of course, well, there you go, he's a... Uh, he he must be taking a lot of vitamins or drinking a lot of juice, Frank, because he, he's got a lot of stamina and fair play to him. <laughs> um, Brad goes under his spell and uh, is seduced by Dr. Frank Inferter. Rocky escapes the castle and uh, and and uh, comes across Janet. Now, Janet is so upset about her infidelity, she escapes her room and finds herself back in the operation room where Rocky was born. She panics, uh, desperate to find a way out, and presses loads of buttons and finds the camera, which conveniently is on Brad's room. Oops, uh, she sees Brad looking a bit sheepish there, with Frank smoking a cigarette. Obviously, the 70s sign there that uh, they've just been up to some interesting bedroom action. Of course, you wouldn't get that nowadays with all the smoking bans. Obviously, Janet is uh, extremely upset about uh, finding her 
husband-to-be in such a, uh, a predicament. Um, so she turns around to hide and finds Rocky crying there. Obviously he's burnt, he's damaged, and uh, overcome with emotion, because that's what she is, um, she touches in ha- his, uh, Rocky's hand to heal him, uh, put a bandage on him. But, well, they end up looking into each other's eyes, and apparently she does like a man with many muscles. And uh, she ends up singing the song, Touch her, touch her, touch me. I was feeling done in Couldn't win I'd only ever kissed before You mean she... Uh-huh. I thought there's no use getting Into heavy petting It only leads to trouble And seat wetting Now all I want to know Is how to go I've tasted blood and I want more I'll put up no resistance I want to stay the distance I've got an itch to scratch I need assistance Touch it, touch it, touch it, touch me Frank arrives in the operation room and uh, with Brad and takes his frustrations out on his manservant Riff Raff, of course, who was meant to be looking after Rocky. And uh, he uses a whip here, uh, demanding to know what's happened. Riff Raff jumps to the monitor to scan the castle grounds and comes up with an image of Dr. Everett Scott, here played by Jonathan Adams. Uh, Dr. Everett Scott's in a wheelchair. Uh, now, this is the tutor that Brad and Janet was going to see to uh, tell him about their announcement. Now, Brad is extremely ecstatic to see uh, Dr. Scott's there. And this is where Riff Raff slips up, and uh, Riff Raff turns around and says, you know this human, before Frank you know, gives him a bit of a look. So it's letting it out now that um, these individuals in the castle are not human, they're obviously from another planet. Um, Frank has Dr. Scott brought to his presence. Uh, these two banter a little bit, backwards and forwards, who's the better doctor kind of thing. And Dr. Scott uh, announced that the reason why he's actually at the, uh, the castle is because Dr. Scott's nephew is Eddie. Now, shocked they all are, obviously, and Janet suddenly pops out of the creation tank along with Rocky. Oh dear, Brad doesn't look happy, Dr. Scott doesn't look happy, Janet's shocked, and Frank's upset with Rocky's behaviour, and Rocky just looks kind of like dumb, really. Um, a meal is now organised and they all sit around this table. The interesting thing when you look at the table um, is that there's a mixture of plates and dishes and cups. Nothing is, is actually you know the same like you would do if you were having a dinner party. Um, you try your best to get all the same crockery, all the same cups, all the same wine glasses. It really is a mishmash of stuff. Uh, paper plates, um, ceramic plates, plastic plates. It's quite clear they, you know, they're, they're trying to imitate human behaviour and it, it, it just doesn't work. Everyone looks extremely uncomfortable, and of course, why wouldn't they? It's been a bit of a busy night going on there. And uh, Frank offers a toast to celebrate Rocky's birthday, uh, even after all what's happened, and they, they sing a half-hearted version of Happy Birthday to You. Um, Riff Raff and Magenta come into the room and they, they bring in what looks like a, a large cooked ham and uh, when Dr Scott, they all took in you know, um, uh, when Dr Scott asks about Eddie, Frank says that's a rather tender subject, another slice anyone 
Um, it appears that uh, by everyone's reaction that they are actually eating uh, Eddie. Um, Dr. Scott pulls out a teddy bear and, and then turns around and says uh, that he received the note and sings the song Eddie's Teddy. From the day he was born He was troubled He was disowned in his mother's side she tried in vain but he never caused her nothing but shame he left home the day she died from the day she was gone oh he wanted was rock and roll born on the motorbike shooting up junk he was a low down cheap little punk taking everyone for a ride then he said he didn't like his head he knew he was a no good kid but then he found a line with a sweat slaying what a god uh, Frank, in a moment of frustration, pulls the cloth off the table to reveal a cut-up Eddie in a glass coffin. Um, chaos ensues with Janet screaming and running into Rocky's hand. Frank doesn't like that, so he screams at them. And they all chase each other around the castle uh, with the song uh, Planet Shramet in the, uh, the background. Um, they get to a, a, an open hall room and uh, and Frank uh, uh, he's still chasing them um, sneakily he gets them back in the operation room where Magenta has a, 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 like a Medusa machine and uh, he's able to freeze the guests on the spot and um, they, they can't move their legs and um, it's, oh, so it's called a sonic transducer is how he, how he does it and uh, he uses the Medusa to control uh, to turn them all into marble statues it's not easy having a good time Even smiling makes my face ache. And my children turn on me. Rocky's behaving just the way that Eddie did. Do you think I made a mistake? Splitting his brain between the two of them. Die! Grow weary of this world! When shall we return to Transylvania, huh? Magenta, I am indeed grateful to both you and your brother Riffraff. You have both served me well. Loyalty such as yours shall not go unrewarded. You will discover that when the mood takes me, I can be quite generous. I ask for nothing, Master. And you shall receive it in abundance. It's quite clear that this whole evening is not going the way Frank wanted, but uh, ever the man who wants to, um, to to keep the party going, he announces that there will be a floor show. And uh, what the hell is this? Um, all of the guests, including Rocky and Columbia, are on stage. They're all still in their marble statues, and they have um, you know makeup drawn on their faces, and they end up singing the song "Rose to My World." Um, this is a song full of panic and hope.
French is directing this, but uh, there's a curtain call, and behind them is the RKO antenna dominating the stage. Uh, Frank uh, is standing there singing uh, Rose to My World, and they, they're getting quite carried away, and they, they don't notice Riff Raff and Magenta uh, walking in, now dressed in gold and black leather outfits with a ray gun pointing at them. Frank pleads with them and announces in the song that he's, he's going to go home. Uh, it's a beautiful th- uh, song. It's wonderfully performed by Tim Curry. His emotion is absolutely fantastic. And as you, you'll have noticed, I've only played samples of these songs uh, throughout this podcast, but uh, I think it's just such a, such a wonderful tune. Uh, I'm going to play the, the full version, and uh, here it is. This is uh, I'm Going Home. On the day I went away Was all I had to say I want to come again and stay Smile and that will mean I'm there been the same Like I'm outside in the rain Free to try and find the game Cards for sorrow Cards for pain
thinks he's performing to the hall full of guests. He's absolutely delirious. Um, there are no one there, but he's he's guests that he's had on the stage, and of course, um, Riff Raff and Magenta. And Riff Raff walks closer, pointing his gun at Frank, and has this to say: "How sentimental!" And also presumptuous of you. You see, when I said we were to return to Transylvania, I referred only to Magenta and myself. I'm sorry, however, if you found my words misleading. But you see, you are to remain here, in spirit anyway. Good heavens, that's a laser. Yes, Dr. Scott, a laser capable of emitting a beam of pure antimatter. You mean, you're going to kill him? What's his crime? You saw what became of Eddie. Society must be protected. Exactly, Dr. Scott. And now, Frank and Ferty, your time has come. Say goodbye to all of this. And hello to oblivion. Uh, Riffraff proceeds then to kill Columbia, who runs to protect Frank. And then he kills Frank. Uh, Rocky, absolutely distraught, picks Frank up and uh, heads towards the RKO antenna. He climbs this antenna, uh, underneath the antenna is a little swimming pool, and uh, Riff Raff shoots Rocky at least four or five times before the antenna falls and both of them fall into the swimming pool. And we see Frank just floating uh, head down in the water. This is the point there where, where they, all the guests are quite shocked that Riff Raff's killed them. And uh, Riff Raff has this to say. God! You killed them! But I thought you liked them. They liked you. They didn't like me! They never liked me! You did right. A decision had to be made. You're okay by me. Dr. Scott, I'm sorry about your nephew. Eddie? Yes, well, perhaps it was for the best. <laughs> you should leave now, Dr. Scott, while it is still possible. We are about to beam the entire house back to the planet of transsexual in the galaxy of Transylvania. shall return to the moon-drenched shores of our beloved planet. Sweet transsexual land of night to sing and dance once more to your dark refrain. To take that Death to the right! Ah! 
but it's the pelvic thrust. And our world will do the time warp again! <laughs> Well, with Riff Raff's warning, uh, Brad and Janet and Dr. Scott escape the castle and the whole building takes off, leaving them in the crater. They're, they're actually torn to pieces. Uh, uh, they're clusters in the script as in distress. And the film ends with the song uh, Superheroes and the narrator has the final words. And crawling on the planet's face some insects called the human race Lost in time, lost in space, and meaning. Well, that's the film. Um, now, for me, I first found Rocky Horror when I was actually at school. Um, I was, uh, I saw it on TV in a late uh, late night film slot. It never occurred to me actually when I was when I was young. I must have been about fourteen when I saw it. Um, it never occurred to me about the fact that there was men in this film dressed in sock, stockings and suspenders. Uh, my, my dad, uh, I think, had a few. A few questions about it, um, but to me, it doesn't really. It is obviously uh, important aspect of the film is the sexuality aspect of the film, but it doesn't really occur to me even now. Uh, I think it's maybe because it's the fact that I've, I've loved this film for so long. Um, it's of the of obvious things. Uh, Frank's a, a transvestite, so that's <laughs> that's it all. But to me, it's a fantastic mix of humour, sci-fi, horror, and also fantastic um, musical numbers. Um, we've got a comment from uh, our good friend uh, Sue Kissenweather, uh, who's uh, obviously extremely into her theatre, and uh, this is what she has to say. Hi Meds, this is Sue, and I hear you're going to be doing a Trucks and Sci-Fi episode on the Rocky Horror Picture Show, so I thought that I would send you some thoughts on the matter. Growing up in theatre and dance and all those things, I was doing things to from Rocky Horror, the dances, they were singing the songs, before I had any idea 
uh, what I was referencing. I mean, really, if you haven't danced to the time warp in a recital by the age of eight or ten, you're just not going to a reputable dance school. Um, at least that's how it seemed. I mean, it was everywhere. And uh, I think the first time I actually saw the movie, I was in my uh, probably early teens, and I came across it on on TV really late at night. And I remember feeling uh, slightly scandalized and very confused, especially at the end of the movie. I'm not sure I really understood what was happening or what was trying to be said to me. Um, very interesting. And of course, that, that realization comes with age. Um, I can't say uh, personally that Rocky Horror is a favorite for me, but it definitely has its place. I think both uh, in in my life because of my involvement in, in theater and in, in theater and movie history itself. Uh, it definitely has its place. Whether you like it or not, it is a groundbreaking production, both on, on the stage and on the screen. Um, for me, Rocky Horror, it's not something that you sit at home and watch. You go to Rocky Horror. You don't just watch Rocky Horror. Uh, personally, I'd rather attend a live performance uh, with a cast than a movie sing-along. And I mean, the callbacks are still encouraged. Uh, I also think that to to really enjoy it, you have to find the right group of people to go with. Uh, don't go to Rocky Horror alone. It, it won't be as awesome. Um, but I mean, even if I understand how the subject matter and, and what goes on in the movie or in the show can make some people uncomfortable, but if you find the right group of people to go with, I think that the experience of Rocky Horror is definitely worth it. Just don't tell anybody it's your first time. Um, and I think that's it for me. Have a great show, Mads. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. I have to agree that the film is awesome. And if you can see the film or the play at a local theatre, please do, because the audience participation is absolutely so much fun. Um, I, when I was at school, attempted to put the stage play on at school. And um, <laughs> yes, I know, I'm sure you're all shaking your heads now. Uh, I got about as far as, as casting and writing the stage version for our school. Um, that was when our headmaster or principal uh, saw the script and deemed it not suitable for school. You know what, I, I think I can see his point. Um, so, well, the casting. Well, Tim Curry, uh, he went on to become uh, an extremely well-known actor, playing in such films as Clue, Legend, uh, amongst other things. Uh, we all know what happened to Susan Sarandon and Barry Boswick. Uh, Meatloaf suddenly grew breasts for Fight Club, uh, though I am reliably informed that they were prosthetics. Uh, Patricia Quinn and Nell Campbell continued a fantastic career in film and stage plays. Peter Himwood, who, tur- who played Rocky, uh, turned his back uh, on acting and uh, now runs an antique store. Uh, Charles Gray sadly passed away in 2000. He had a wonderful film career. Um, he'd been in Bond films, loads of 50s and 60s films. And he was also the voice of Jack Hawkins uh, when the actor lost his voice uh, through cancer. A final Richard O'Brien, while well, he went on to write the sequel to Rocky, or a kind of sequel mainly involving Brad and Janet called Shock Treatment. Um, it's an unusual film. I've only ever seen it once and I hated it, whether it's because of the fact I love Rocky or I don't know. Um, he then became quite well known over here in England, uh, uh, presenting a quiz show called The Crystal Maze, which, which I, I love then and I still love now when I see it on repeats. Uh, if you look closely, he turns up in Flash Gordon. Um, he's always got a bald head, so you can't, you can't really miss him. Um, there is a rumour that there is a sequel coming out to this uh, called Return of the Snow Queen, but that seems to have been shelved because um, whether the success of Glee doing the Rocky Horror show 
I'm not too sure, but the, there are talks of a remake uh, being done. I'm not too sure how, how well this will be uh, done as a remake because there's a certain... There's a bit of a 70s feel to this film. I think um, there's a lot more innocence going on then. Um, but hey, you know, it could be good. Let's hope they don't change the songs because the songs are what make this film. Um, so that's Rocky Horror. I hope you enjoyed it. And uh, I'm uh, leaving you here um, with the most famous song from uh, Rocky Horror. It's played, as we said earlier on, worldwide at parties. And uh, Charles Gray, the narrator, tells you how to dance to it. So... Uh, why don't you, if you feel the need? Don't do it if you're driving, that would be bad. But if you've got a bit of a space around you, do enjoy the time warp. My name's Simon Meddings, and uh, we'll see you next week for some more Treks in Sci-Fi. It's astounding. Time is fleeting. Madness takes its toll. But listen closely. Not for very much longer. I've got to keep control. Just a jump to the left. And then a step to the right. With your hands on your hips. You can't see me No, not at all In another dimension With voyeuristic intention Well secluded I see all With a bit of a mind flip You're into the time slip And nothing Can ever be the same You're spaced out on sensation Like you're under Hip